This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. They may never lose another game again. I have a feeling I might be saying that at the top of the hour when Gary Lawless from Vegas joins me as well. But in the meantime, as we bring aboard play-by-play voice of the Detroit Red Wings, Ken Daniels. Kenny, they may never lose another game again. What do you think? Well, as opposed to Elliot saying that I can be insufferable, uh, first of all, (laughs) I'm surprised you still have my number uh, because the last time I spoke to you was when the Red Wings, I think, won five in a row and six of seven last February when they were technically in the playoffs before uh, out shooting Tampa Bay by a whole lot and Vasilevsky stole the game and then they went into Ottawa and lost those two and that set Steve Eisenman on the tone where he's going now but I I tend to be the voice of reason because last season after six games the Red Wings were 3-1-2 they had eight points they were 7-3-2 after a dozen but 10 points this season and a five-game winning streak Jeff it, it feels different it's the depth it's the defense, it's the backup goalie, uh, the coaching with systems in place, and even half the roster, 10 new uh, players, is different. It's bigger, stronger, and 7D who can all play. But they will lose again. I can guarantee you that. <laughs> well, um, listen, after this weekend, you, you have to wonder. And, you know, you set the table really nicely, Ken. And let's start to sort of drill down from there. And I do want to get to talking about the coach. And I do want to get to talking about the blue line and the nature of defending in the NHL right now. But, I mean, the headline maker is Alex DeBrinkett. I mean, not only, you know, the hat trick against Calgary, uh, but the performance Saturday where everybody was going at Alex DeBrinkett, including the fans. Every time he touched the puck during the uh, welcome back video, every time he was on the ice, whether it was Brady Kachuk or Ridley Gregg in a penalty that eh, I didn't really think warranted a, warranted a penalty, but nonetheless there it was. I mean, that's the treatment Alex DeBrinket is going to get when he goes to Ottawa uh, for the remainder of his career, and he seems fine with that. Uh, share your thoughts, if you would, Ken, on the performance so far from Alex DeBrinkett, who, as we, uh, as we uh, air this live, uh, checks notes, is number one in both points and goals in the NHL. Yeah, and uh, Alex knew he would get uh, booed, uh, just as he would, uh, as he told me prior to going uh, into Ottawa. And uh, we do, by the way, for uh, on uh, Detroit, uh, the Detroit page on the YouTube channel, I think as of Wednesday, uh, a half-hour show on Alex Dabrinkit coming home. I had the pleasure of going to uh, Alex's home to speak with him and back to Farmington Hills Ice Arena, where he uh, grew up playing. So if you would love to see a half-hour show on Alex Dabrinkit, who, by the way, told me, and, and I know you're such a hockey nerd, you'll love this, you, you, you'd figure that Dabrinkit had a lifelong nickname of Cat, wouldn't you? Yeah. But he didn't. It started in Chicago what was it? with Brent Seabrook calling him Kitty when he first got there. And then he said when he started to grow some hmm. facial hair, it turned into Cat because he was older. Goes by Brent <laughs> I thought it was a, a lifelong thing. However, with multi-goals in each of his first three home games, and, and he's... He's just connecting yeah. with Dylan Markin so well. Dylan joked after the game last night that they played summer league hockey together, so you knew it would translate, right? Um, and then he laughed, mm. and they didn't have that chemistry in training camp whatsoever. Um, but Alex is just so good, as Dylan said, at, at finding spots to put the puck in. And, and Dylan said he'd never played with a player like that. Um, just how he finds space and pockets and his entries are so good. And, and you know, for Alex, I think last year in Ottawa, Jeff, the structure that the Senators were playing with was more defensive, and I believe they changed it. DJ changed it midway through the season. Uh, He didn't have Josh Norris to play with. And to the story that got out, and he has no idea how, there is no truth to the rumor that he gave a crap whatsoever playing behind Brady Kachuk, who's one of his best buddies, was at Brady's wedding. Uh, Yeah, they got into it a little bit uh, in the game in Ottawa the other day. But that had nothing to do with it. But he just feels comfortable coming home. And his young son, Archie, for the first time ever, uh, although he hasn't seen many games, just a year and a half, but was at uh, Little Caesars Arena to see him play for the first time. And he gets a hat trick. So, and four points. That was all pretty cool. 
it's all fantastic. Like right now, everything is just fantastic with this team and this organization. And as far as Alex Dabrinkit goes, you know, it, it seemed as if it was going to be, um, to your point about the structure of the Ottawa Senators and how they play. Like we all know, I mean, this is Chicago style. Like Dabrinkit does well when the pucks are on his team's stick a lot. And the Ottawa Senators would do a lot of, you know, throw the puck into places uh, where they could retrieve them as opposed to carry them to those places. And listen, uh, when you're carrying the puck, that's where Alex Dabrinkit thrives. Like not exactly a surprise that he performs well on a team that likes to hold the puck as much as Detroit does. And really, I mean, Ken, you've been there for all of it, always has. But the chemistry with him and Dylan Larkin really is special. What makes this thing work? Like, what makes this duo work? This is a, an NHL now that is about duos, although lines are creeping in uh, more so each and, each and every year. But what makes this duo click, Ken Daniels? Well, as I mentioned, I mean, you know, Dylan's never played with a player of this skill. Um, in deference to Tyler Bertuzzi and Dylan and Tyler clicked really well. And now Tyler's trying to find that with Matthews and Marner who clicked for so long together. And now Tyler's trying to fit in with mm-hmm. that. Uh, Tyler fit in with Dylan very well. And Lucas Raymond on the other side, Raymond's almost a forgotten guy after the outstanding rookie season when he had 57 points, a sophomore slump. He's a lot stronger now. And now you can't just close down on Raymond. And I think, in part, what Dylan and DeBrinket, they're clicking because teams can't just shut them down because of the depth. So I think it's a, it's a large circle there, Jeff. I just don't think it's those two because they had no chemistry in camp whatsoever. And the first game in New Jersey wasn't clicking. And they even went with David Perron on that line. And you can slot Perron anywhere because he's just so good. I love David Perron. But now it just took time. And between the two of them, I think that it's that Michigan connection and so much of a Michigan connection on the Red Wings. And even when you saw the top three in the NHL scoring where you had Jack Hughes, who's from Canton, Michigan, and you got Dylan and the Brinkett from Michigan. Um, they just, it's that homegrown feeling, I, I believe, adds to it too. They just want to succeed and the drive. And Dylan, for the time he's been here, has had enough of losing. He is one determined guy, and the two of them are both um, self professed. They're hockey nerds, the two of them, and they love it, and they're rink rats, and they just want to drive the bus, and they're doing it. You know, I was at the uh, Toronto Marley uh, Charlotte Checkers game yesterday afternoon and having a, uh, having a chat with someone. And we were talking about the Detroit Red Wings and uh, the successful start. And he said to me, he said, look, I know you guys are talking a lot about Larkin and DeBrinkett and, and all that is great and how much they're scoring and how exciting it is. Um, but this is a team that defends well. Like off the rush, some guys still get burned, sure. But this is a team that is committed to defending well. And he said something really interesting too. He said, you know, talking about, you know, team concept when it comes to defending. He said, this blue line isn't out there just looking for cookies. This isn't a blue line that's, you know, I got to join here and I got to I, I gotta get a point. I got to grab this. He said, this is a team that is interested in defending in their own zone. And those are teams that tend to win. Agree, disagree. Well, yeah, and they're getting offense from the entries, and that does start in the D zone. It stops in the D zone without cheating, and then it becomes structure in the neutral zone, turns into transition, and now you have skilled guys on the Red Wings who can make those plays, like we talked about with DeBrinket and Raymond, who's really smart, good hockey IQ, Perron and Comfer and Kopp and Larkin and Valeno. You've got guys who can make plays, and you have D now who can get the puck in their hands. You think about it, the Red Wings last season, um, their defense, 6, 7, and 8, if you want to call it that, would have been Jordan Osterley, Robert Hag, Gustav Lindstrom. Somebody healthy is sitting out mm-hmm. every night. Just yesterday, it was Jeff Petrie, and they've got right-hand shots now, too, in Petrie and Justin Hall who, by the way, leads the National Hockey League at plus nine for what it's worth. But if you want to take a 6-7 or 8-D from Mata, Shane Gostas there, Petrie, and Hall, is that an upgrade over Osterley, Hag, and Lindstrom? I think so. The Red Wings were just 8.94 in team save percentage last season, but they have more confidence now. Puso started great. Nadelkovich couldn't really carry on, but they're going to need, whether it be Reimer or Alex Lyon, who may finally get a start at some point in time. Uh, all in all, I think they have better faith in the goaltending. Huso won't be overworked, tired down the stretch, and it helps when your D can move the puck and get it in the hands of the forwards now who can do something with it. With depth, 
they're they're bottom six on Detroit, and I don't even need you to speak to your your favorite player, Daniel Sprong. But the bottom six in Detroit, <laughs> they could all score double digit goals yeah. because they've done it before. Yeah. Whether it be Fisher or Sprong or even Clean Costin, who's hurt right now. So it's it's just depth yep. and help, and the Red Wings' blue line is bigger. It's not Vegas big, but it's bigger, and that's all part of it, to your point. And Sprong is the real reason. Like We'll just be upfront and, 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 and honest about this. Like, he who gets Daniel Sprong gets, gets, the, gets the winning record. Um, you, you did mention the goaltenders there a couple of seconds ago, and I think we're all wondering how this plays out in, in not just Detroit, but in other locations. Like Buffalo is playing Montreal tonight. Buffalo's got their three goaltender situation, and Comrie gets to start uh, tonight against Montreal. Uh, Ukapeka Lukanen will go against uh, the Ottawa Senators, and we're seeing what happens with the Devin Levi situation here as well curious to see how all of that plays itself out how does how does Detroit's three-headed goaltending monster resolve itself here how do you see this thing playing out or do you think you know Detroit's going to be one of those teams as well that says look I'm not putting any goaltender on waivers until Tampa's net is settled perhaps and if anyone knows Tampa it's Steve um, they only yeah. started with 12 forwards anyway. Uh, started the season at 22 uh, on the roster. Carrying three goaltenders right now isn't an issue, except for Alex Lyon, who's such a wonderful guy, great personality. He's on a two-year deal. James Reimer yeah. at 35 is on a one-year deal. So far, Lyon hasn't played. We'll see. Reimer was great against Columbus. Had some shaky moments yesterday, but played well enough and made some big saves. He's currently 2-0. and Now, as we talked about, the backup goalies last year in Detroit, won only nine of 26 starts last season. Billy Husso started 56. Mm. If Husso starts another 56, the backup has to win, whether it be Alex Lyon or James Reimer, at worst 70%, maybe 18 of 26. 13 of 26 is not going to get the Red Wings into the playoffs. And let's be honest, uh, sure, it's a great start, but they're going to be in tough to get in. But there's going to be enough of a push like they were to late last February that maybe Steve doesn't have to make a ton of deals at the deadline and they're playing competitive games and right on the edge into March off a good start if they can keep building on it. So I'm not sure how the goaltending is going to shake out. All I know is if Huso starts 56 again, whoever the backup goalie is has to win a heck of a lot more than nine games for the Red Wings to be in the race uh, come late March. Have 60 seconds quick for this one. Uh, the fan base. And listen, you know how I don't have to tell you how great of a, a hockey town Detroit is. What's the fan base doing with this start? They're loving it. And especially uh, yesterday after the Lions got blown out and they've been so good and the Red Wings scored as many goals <laughs> yesterday as the Lions got points. So it was uh, one of those days. They're, they're gone. You know, they had the sellout crowds and even yesterday around 18,000 and the crowd is boisterous. Uh, they got their new M&M song going now. They got the goal horn back from Joe Louis Arena. And believe me, if you ever thought that people could talk a lot about a goal horn, boy, did they ever in Detroit. And they've got the better sound and the old horn sound is back. So they love that. So the fans are loving it. They're into it. And the players feed off it. They know it. They love the Michigan connection to it. So, uh, so far, so good. Uh, sure. A fun start. We will uh, very much look forward to Daniel Sprong playing his old team, the Seattle Kraken, tomorrow as the Red Wings face off against Seattle. Uh, Ken, thanks as always for stopping by. Uh, Listen, it must be a lot of fun right now. Continue to enjoy the ride, my friend, and you be well, and we'll check back. Now that Detroit's hot, we'll call you every week and bring you on here to victory laps for the Red Wings. You can do that. You can do that. And by the way, it was... With Seattle in town, it's just thing that, that Steve said when he watched Seattle, boy, they're good with a bunch of 20 goal scorers. And didn't he go out there and supplement the roster to try to do similar uh, to that? Yeah. So it'll be a, a neat night tomorrow with Seattle here. It sure will. Ken, thanks as always for stopping by, pal. Thanks, Jeff. Ken Daniels, play-by-play voice of the Detroit Red Wings facing off against Seattle tomorrow. This is after a really successful weekend. I saw them just hand it to Ottawa Saturday afternoon and then pound the Calgary Flames on Sunday. Time now for Line Change, presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book. Bet local, Matt Marchese. Bet local. Which game are you choosing from the checks notes? One game on the board tonight. It was a really tough one to do the research for this, figuring out which one was the best one. We will go with Canadians at Sabres. Woohoo! Uh, puck line is Sabres minus one and a half. The road team is four and one in the last five meetings between these two teams. The under is three zero oh and two in the last five games. The Canadians lead the all-time series one twenty-seven 
one fifteen, thirty-one, and nineteen. Uh, Tage Thompson and Alex Tuck have one point each this season. Yeah, that's not going to stay. Um, that's not going to remain. You just know that both those two players are going to break out eventually. Um, and significantly, and Buffalo coming off a really successful uh, Saturday against the New York Islanders, who are anything but a, an easy out so far to kick off the season. So good on them, and you do wonder if there's a good old-fashioned goaltending controversy brewing here. Uh, first, four, first four games of the season, Devin Levi gets the start. Uh, much expected of Devin Levi by the organization this year, and things did not exactly go Swimmingly, Now it's an LBI, lower body injury situation for Devin Levi. So Comrie gets to start tonight for the Sabres. Got to start Saturday against the Islanders. There was a lot, by the way, riding on that performance. Like if Comrie doesn't play well on Saturday, it's uh-oh time in Buffalo. Um, Comrie gets to start tonight. Uka Pekka Lukanen gets to start against the Ottawa Senators in the next game. And that is tomorrow as part of the stagger day, the frenzy. Anyway, enjoy tonight. It is uh, Rogers Monday Night Hockey, Buffalo and Montreal. That was Line Change presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sportsbook, Bet Local. The mayor of Vegas, the real mayor of Vegas. Gary Lawless is next. Everything Raptors before and after the games. The Raptor Show with Will Liu. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. For Jeff Merrick's Random Hockey Fact of the Day. Okay, and today we'll kick it off by talking about one of my favorite people. Really good guy. Real good hockey player from a great hockey family. And that is Rich Sutter. The Sutters of Viking, Alberta. So on this day, 1983, Rich Sutter in his first game with the Philadelphia Flyers, scores a wraparound goal against Mike Palmatier, the Toronto Maple Leafs. And with that goal, he becomes the sixth Sutter brother to record a goal. That is a record in the NHL. Six different brothers scoring an NHL goal. But that's not the random fact of the day. Actually, there's a couple today. One, the Sutter family descendants from someone by the name of John Sutter. John Augustus Sutter, who was a Swiss immigrant, sailed to America in 1834, eventually settled in California, established something called Sutter's Fort in what's now known as Sacramento, and discovered gold in 1848, which, yes, kicked off the California gold rush. Also, so yes, the Sutter's kicked off the gold rush. In, uh, in California. Also, on that goal, going back to 1983, uh, I gave uh, I gave Richie a call this morning just to, to reminisce about it. And any excuse I can get to call Rich, I'll take it. Um, and we talked about the goal. And it was against Mike Palmatier, who was one of my favorite netminders growing up. And Richie said he was one of mine, too. And he said it was kind of weird or a little bit surreal scoring a goal on Mike Palmatier, uh, which you know gave the Sutter brothers that family record. And he said he always wanted to ask Palmatier if he could get his glove and blocker, some of his old equipment, because he was a huge fan. And he said in the summers, I would play net. Him and Ron, the youngest, would have to play net in the summers for the Sutter family. And also, Richie was a right catch goalie. He's a lefty. And he always wanted to ask Palmatier his entire career for a set of Palmatier blocker catchers, but was too shy and too scared to ask it. But she said, I wasn't scared of anything when I played, but I was scared to ask Mike Palmatier for a set of his gloves. So instead, in St. Louis, he asked Pat Jablonski and got his sets. Uh, of gloves instead. But even to this day, he'll admit Palmatier was number one. So if either Mike Palmatier is listening or someone knows Mike Palmatier, Rich Sutter, a young Rich Sutter who scored a monumental goal against you, would love a pair of your gloves. That is the random fact 
of the day. And with that, we'll kick off hour two of the program. Thanks so much for uh, joining. Thanks to Kenny Daniels, Detroit Red Wings play-by-play voice, for stopping by in hour one. Ditto for Elliot Friedman. By the way, um, tomorrow we will find out. I shouldn't say we'll find out because I don't think we're going to find out. But tomorrow, by 5 o'clock Eastern, NHL teams have to get their get their vote in on what they want to do about the draft. And we've been talking about the idea, and the NHL has as well, about decentralizing uh, the draft doing something more akin to what the NFL does with their draft. This has been met. This has been met with controversy, certainly, and this has been met from met by various responses from various people at various levels. And it seems overwhelmingly, from a fan's point of view, they don't want it. They're not interested in it at all. They like the draft the way it is. Can we sure you massage it and give it a fresh coat of paint every couple of years, but basically keep it the way it is. Uh, I'm in that camp as well. I'm in the camp of this is a great event. It's a great event, not just for the players and their families, but also for teams and rights holders and corporate sponsors and everybody pretty much at every single level of the game. I know there are some teams that don't like it, uh, the way that it is because it's too close up against free agency. But still, the value that the NHL gets from holding the draft and hosting the draft the way that they do it now, um, I don't think the league should be in a position to compromise or change this profoundly. But, but they are voting. Uh, and the votes have to be in. I think a number of the votes are already in. A one team, Each team gets one vote. That's it. What is your consensus? Send it in to the NHL. Uh, that happens tomorrow. I think it's 5 o'clock. All those votes need to be in. Now, right now, there's still no official home for the draft this season. It's still wildly believed that the NHL wants to do it in Vegas. Will it be the sphere? Uh, we don't know, uh, but nothing has been announced. Nothing is official yet. So let's ask the mayor of Las Vegas. He is a Vegas Golden Knights insider, Gary Lawless. He joins me now. Gary, how are you today, pal? Hey, I'm great, Jeff. How are you doing? Uh, good. Before we get on uh, the page of the Vegas Golden Knights, 6-0, and they're a dynamic force to kick off the season. Uh, we haven't seen this before from a defending Stanley Cup champion. Do you have a thought on how the NHL should do the draft? We've talked a lot about decentralization. There are some teams that are in favor, some teams aren't. I talked to one manager who said it's more, more split than you think. Uh, someone else that I spoke to said, no, this weighs heavily towards decentralizing it and going the new route. Do you have a, you have a thought on this one? Do you have a perspective? Do you have a, a, a bias? Like I, I want it kept the way that it is. Um, but what say you, Gary Lawless? What say you? Yeah, I would, I would grow it. Uh, and okay, so l- the re- the reasons for decentralizing. The first one that, that is stated is economics. Well, your scouts yeah. don't live in in Vegas or New York or Chicago, so you got to fly them all in, and you got to get them hotel rooms, just like you do at the draft. And then you got to feed them, you got to give them per diem. So I don't know where the economic, uh, I guess you don't have to rent a boardroom or, or a, you know, a suite at a hotel because you can do it at, at your facility in some places. I don't know if all places are set up to, to have those types of meetings. Um, in terms of, like, efficiency, they all got to do it in, uh, during COVID, and some teams didn't even fly in all their guys. They did it with a, a skeleton crew. Mm. Uh, Vegas, they did it the one year at Bill Foley's ranch in Montana. They had they had all the guys there, and um, uh, you know it, it, it worked. It's it's efficient in that manner. But let, Danny Briere, let's use him for an example. Does he know every general yep. manager in the league? How, how is he supposed to get to know all of these guys? Like that's what happens there. You go and. Uh, but I can tell you, my experience at the draft, three of, I got to meet Wayne Gretzky at one, and he gave me, you know, like a long interview, a one-on-one, Rich Nairn, shoot everybody else away, and I got to have a one-on-one with Wayne Gretzky. <laughs> Two years later, yep. uh, I was at the draft, and I was walking by Don Baisley, the late Don Baisley, and he reached out and grabbed me and said to Scotty Bowman, who he was talking to over the boards, he said, Scotty, of course, you know, Gary Lawless of the Winnipeg Free Press. 
and uh, and Scotty pretended he did know me, and then I said to him, "Hey, I'm from Peterborough," <laughs> and uh, you know, I, I I got a text from Scotty still a couple times a year asking me something about about you know whatever team uh, I'm covering or whatever's going on. So uh, to me, and in, in, especially in a time when the Vegas Golden Knights played in Chicago on Saturday night. Uh, Connor Bedard's first mm-hmm. game at home, no media from Vegas. Uh, the broadcast crew and 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 the team's content, the, the, the franchise's content team was there. But in a time when we're struggling to to have media cover the cover the league, and uh, like this is an opportunity to have all these people come together. It's the it's from my perspective. And I have no idea how George and Kelly are going to vote, uh, but from my perspective, it's it's our convention, and to eliminate it would be—I yeah. I think we'd miss a, a, a ton of opportunities. Uh, I'm with you. This is, you know, I mentioned this on on the on the podcast this morning, Gary. That um, you know, this is the one event of the year that profoundly touches every single element of the game itself whether it's um, the NHL, the NHL Players Association, the owners, the fans, the prospects, their families, the corporate sponsors, like go right down the list at every single level. Um, everybody in hockey is really touched here. And I think more than anything else, and I think this is what you were winking at, I think it should actually be made bigger to Elliot's point about, you know, treating it like it's a, like it's a, tra- have an element of a, of a trade show involved uh, and involved as well. You know, the coaches association does a wonderful event. People have gotten jobs uh, from that things thing as well. And how many times have you heard Gary? And I'm sure the answer is, is many. Um, you may not have made a trade at the, at the draft, but the seeds were planted because you were face to face at a coffee shop or on the floor or making your way uh, to the to the rink, and you you shared an Uber or something like that. I don't think we should be in the business of discouraging face to face meetings between managers. If anything, we should be encouraging more of them, Gary. Yeah, like I love being at the draft, and you see, you know, a couple of years ago, Kelly McCrimmon got up, walked over to San Jose's table, said something to Doug Wilson, they shook hands. Kelly went and sat down, and then, you know, we all had to wait and see <laughs> what they'd done. It was a, it was a minor <laughs> trade. It was nothing of, uh, of importance. But I also saw Brad Treliving, uh, at, you know, at, at the end of the first round a couple of years ago, uh, you know, working both phones furiously, and it was the Dougie Hamilton trade. Like, mm-hmm. uh, uh, these, like this is uh, – uh, it's stuff happens because – you're 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 all in the same orbit and i don't uh yeah i wouldn't want to discourage that at all okay i know you don't like the idea of being, um of, uh, of more than 16 teams making the playoffs you do not want an expanded playoff format um well, that is very very much it's not that i don't want it but that no one has made a case that makes any sense like first of all there's no problem mm-hmm. The NHL it, it, it plays to 95% capacity in the regular season and 100% in the playoffs. So to me, it's like, what's the issue? Well, what, what, what are we trying to fix? And if you're going to point to Winnipeg, Winnipeg was in the playoffs last year. They've been in the playoffs eight of the last 10 years. Their, their attendance woes have nothing to do, have nothing to do with the team being in the playoffs or, or not. So it's, it's a specious argument. Let, let me let me let me pick up on that because you know you have some authority to talk about that being in that market for as as long as you were before you went to Vegas. What is the issue with Winnipeg? Yeah, it, I, I'm not in that market anymore and haven't been for for seven years. I, I was there last week. It, it's a small market, the smallest market in the NHL and the smallest building in the NHL. So they have had to charge a premium for those tickets for, for a long time. Like they don't charge Toronto prices, but they, they get a lot more for their tickets there than they, than in a lot of, a lot of much larger U S markets. So it's always been a tightrope. And I can remember when Mark Chipman was thinking about 
getting the team, you know, like they had their, they had the drive for 15,000 or 13,000, whatever it was. And, you know, he did yeah. say, he said, I'm willing to walk out on this limb, but I'm not walking out there. I'm not walking out on it alone. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think, it, I don't think you can blame the, the customer ever. It, it, you have to find a way to, to make it more attractive, but, uh, I, I don't like seeing it. That's for sure. The market means an awful lot to me and I hope that they can, they can figure it out. But, but saying, Hey, we're going to have 18 or 20 teams in the playoffs. That doesn't solve what's going on in Winnipeg right now. Um, okay. To, uh, to, to Vegas here. And before we get to the start, I'm curious about the summer. How deep did the rings go? I mean, we've seen organizations, obviously the, the players all get, you know, gorgeous rings and, and, you know, the Vegas rings are very much Vegas rings. Like that is a very distinctive ring, uh, from Vegas, but how deep into the organization did Bill Foley go with the rings? Uh, deep, <laughs> um, it, the, you know, the first batch that it's a small jeweler. Uh, Jason of, of Beverly Hills. So it's not like Jostens mm-hmm. that you know they can crank out two or three hundred of these all at once. Uh, so the first batch went to obviously players, wives, uh, pro scouts, coaching staff, management. They had a they had a ring dinner for that. But we the day mm-hmm. after the ring dinner, we had a, a staff wide uh, meeting, and our team president Terry Bubold said. You know, those of you that are getting rings and, you know, it's, it's all the office staff, broadcasters, et cetera, et cetera, uh, you'll be getting them in a, uh, in uh, in due time, you know, probably in sometime in, in November. So, you know, I, I don't have a number for you, but I know that, you know, the, the mm-hmm. president of the business side of the organization wasn't afraid to talk about it in front of uh, 100, 100 or more staffers. Uh, okay, to the team. How have they done this? I mean, this is the Rocky story, right? It's harder to stay on top than to get on top and eye of the tiger and have to stay hungry. And, you know, it's, uh, I remember um, uh, Marvin Hagler, you know, marvelous, Mar- one of my favorite boxers from, you know, one of my favorite time periods of boxing would always say, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to get up at five o'clock in the morning to do road work when you're sleeping in silk pajamas. And I think we all understand, uh, all understand that when it, when it comes to sports, but uh, no hangover. This team is sleeping in silk pajamas after winning a Stanley cup, but they're still getting up and getting to work six and zero to kick off the season. We've never seen this before. How have the Vegas golden Knights done this? Well, not to mention uh, like they came out of training camp and immediately were banged up. Like the, they played a couple of this of these games. They played without five regulars, and a, a bunch of them they've played without three D. Like Martinez just returned uh, in Winnipeg. Prior to that, they were missing Petrangelo. He's still missing White Cloud. He's still missing, and they were missing uh, Marty yeah. as well. So um, you know, not many teams win games when they're when they're playing their ninth defenseman. Uh, it happens to be where Vegas is deepest has an organization is on the blue line. Uh, you know, Cass- as Bruce Cassidy, that's pretty amazing what they've done. They went 22, four and five to finish last year. Then they went 16 and six, and now they've gone six and all. Oh. So I think it's 44, 10 and five since the all-star break last year. Mm-hmm. They haven't lost a regular season game in regulation since late March. Edmonton came in and, uh, and spanked them pretty good at T-Mobile. That's the last time. They've lost a regular season game in regulation. And I asked Bruce, we wrote a book this summer called uh, It Hurts to Win um, about, the, about the championship season. And I asked him, you know, what, why, what, 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 what made them capable of winning all those games down the stretch, holding off Dallas, Colorado, LA, and Edmonton to, to make sure that they won first the Pacific, but also uh, the Western Conference in the regular season. And he said, I figured out that these guys love to compete and love to win. And I just kept saying, okay, this is the next thing we need to win. Go win it. And that was the, you know, that was making the playoffs. Then I, then I said, okay, the next thing to win is the Pacific division. Go win it. They did. Then he said, win the Western conference. They did. And then it was to start to win rounds in the playoffs. Uh, they, 
when a practice isn't going very well, he doesn't like the way that, that the intensity, he just goes to a, a small ice uh, drill where they have to compete and against one another rather than right. just, you know, running a drill. And all of a sudden the intensity, everything is fixed. So now it's kind of, he's built it into practices where there's a lot of stuff where they're going against one another. Um, he's changed too, you know, like the, the, they, they beat Winnipeg and they weren't very good. They were up three, one. And then Winnipeg got in, got back into the game, uh, tied it at three, three, the next TV timeout, uh, before he could address the team, Mark Stone stood up and took over and basically, you know, instructed the group they were, they were going to win and this is how they were going to do it. And, uh, and they did, they won five, three. Um, and then Mark, after the game, uh, said, we know we weren't our best. We know we have to be better. We will be. So Bruce took him on at his word and, you know, didn't have any of the, the veterans on the ice the next the next day in Chicago. Team team flew all night, got to Chicago. Got, we we got to the hotel, you know, around two thirty Central Time, and uh, he just sort of said, "Yeah, we're not going on the ice tomorrow. Some of the young guys can go, but as we're not going as a group." I asked him about that. He said, right. three years ago, I would have had everybody on there, and I would have been, you know, <laughs> pounding it into them." But he said, "But." Uh, I trust the guys, uh, and rest is a weapon for us right now. He's he's given them. He's canceled three practices, I think, already. Like they were scheduled on. If we get a schedule every month, uh, or and the, and the practice time is on the schedule, and he said, "No, nah, we're not going to do that. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna take, mm-hmm. we're gonna use the opportunity to rest our legs," which is a, an interesting wrinkle from a guy that. Um, is uh, it has a reputation for being demanding and intense. You know, this is a um, this is a remarkable team. I want to end on this one. Um, Philadelphia Flyers in town tomorrow. Uh, part of a really busy Tuesday schedule with all the uh, with all the time staggers. Going to be a fun uh, fun fun night of watching uh, NHL hockey. Um, but you know, I, I look at this team, and normally at the beginning of the season, you can say, okay. By the time trade deadline rolls around, this is where we think the general manager is going to be, or this is where the general manager is going to look. Now, injuries are the wild card, and that could necessitate a move by Kelly McCrimmon, one that, you know, as we sit here and and chat, Gary, on Monday, October 23rd, we never would have imagined Kelly McCrimmon would be in a position to have to make a move for. But as you look at the team right now, and I know they're a perfect 6-0, and and they look great. Is there any area that if you're Kelly McCrimmon, you're looking at to kick off the season and say to yourself, by the time deadline rolls around, I want to shore this part of the team up? Well, they had, they had to trade Riley Smith, uh, William Carlson's left wing, to, make, to, to have the salary cap for space for... Uh, Barbashev, Ivan Barbashev. You guys got Bobrovsky too? No fair. Yeah, no, no. We don't need him. Uh, uh, Aiden Hill and Logan Thompson, <laughs> they've been tremendous. So he needed the cap to sign yeah. Hill. Uh, Hill had earned a raise uh, with the Conn Smythe caliber playoff. And, and Barbashev was, uh, he was the leading point getter in the playoffs amongst all players traded at the deadline last year. So both those, you needed money for those guys, so he had to trade Smith. Um, so now Paul Cotter and uh, Pavel Dorfiev are trying to figure out which guy is gonna is gonna fit on that spot. Uh, and that you know, to me, uh, I don't think they need to add on the blue line. Um, uh, they've got oh, they, they're really good there. Uh, the goaltending has been, you know, it's been the biggest strength of the team so far. Uh, center ice. I think you know. You know, Vegas is is quite comfortable comparing themselves with any team in the NHL down the middle of the ice when you go Eichel, sure. Stevenson, Carlson, Waugh. So uh, yeah, it, it would be on the wing, uh, but that remains to be seen. You know, what I mean, Paul Cotter has you know has done some really good things. Pavel Dorfiev is a, a very nice young player. Maybe one of them steps up and 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 says, no, that's my job and. Uh, and you don't need to go out into mm-hmm. the market 
Um, but, you know, I guess maybe scoring depth uh, at that time. But uh, all that remains to be seen. We'll see. Uh, Gary, always a pleasure, my man. You uh, enjoy the game against Philadelphia tomorrow, and we will check back regular. I don't think uh, I don't think Vegas is going anywhere anytime soon. Thanks, as always, for this, pal. You be good. Yep, thanks very much, Jeff. There he is, yeah, Vegas Golden Knights insider Gary Lawless and the real mayor of that city. Uh, Matt Marchese is aboard here. Um, quick thought on, on, on Vegas, their start, Colorado, their start, Boston, their start. I, I know that what we're seeing here, Matty, out of Vegas is, is remarkable. 6-0, and defending Stanley Cup champions. That doesn't happen. Normally there's that you know, niggling thing called the, uh, uh, called the hangover. That hasn't happened to the Vegas Golden Knights here. But I keep coming back to the Boston Bruins. And what they've been able to do without Patrice Bergeron, future Hall of Famer, one of the best players to ever suit up in the NHL, and the always chronically, um, criminally underrated David Krejci. This is a team that hasn't missed a beat. Like, I don't think anyone thinks they're going to go on a, another regular season rip like they did last year with the President's Trophy and 135 points or something ridiculous like that. I don't expect that to happen. With the uh, with the Boston Bruins, but I don't think anyone expected this record to happen either, Maddie. No, uh, I'm going to stop counting out the Boston Bruins because I said last year with all the injuries they had, ah, they're going to be in a tough spot to make the playoffs because well, they don't have Brad Marchand ah. and they don't have Charlie McAvoy and they don't have McAvoy, Matt Grizzlick yeah. and yeah, no, it was they, they shouldn't have made the playoffs. Not only did they make the playoffs, they set a record for most points in a year. So I'm not going to doubt them because I said this year. They're not going to be around. They're, they've got the, the too many glaring holes up front. But what we have learned is that sometimes you just need to have enough up front because your defense is really good and your goaltending is really good. And I think that's I think that's kind of the genius of Jim Montgomery a little bit here in that they aren't going to score as many goals. But they're very well equipped to play kind of whatever style they need to play to win right now. Well, uh, it helps when you have uh, Matthew Poitras who comes in mm-hmm. and grabs that two goals uh, that yesterday. Second line center spot. Who, hey, uh, sorry, Guelph Storm of the OHL. I'm not sure you're getting him back uh, at all. Um, I, I still think that the Boston Bruins are going to be knocking on doors all season long to try to try to pick up one more center. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that at come trade deadline time afterwards that it's still going to be. Uh, it it's still going to be you know Zaka, Watrous, Coyle, and John Beecher. I I still think that's going to look different, but so far so good. Like a really good start. Linus Allmark has been excellent. Jeremy Swayman um, has been excellent as well. So once again, the accent for the Boston Bruins, and historically this has kind of been true in a lot of different generations. The big power comes from the back end, which is a tradition that goes back when you look at the Boston Bruins to. Eddie Shore. Know, Eddie Shore. Eddie Shore. Right? Probably from the 20s. Mm-hmm. Right? Eddie, Eddie Shore. Like, when you think of... When you think of all the great defensemen that Boston has had through the ages, whether it's Eddie Shore... Bernie Flamin. Uh, Bobby Orr. Uh, oh, man, was he ever tough. Like, maybe pound for pound, the toughest player to ever play the game, Matty. That's Hall of Famer. That's show. When right? You get... Uh, Hall of Famer Fern Flamen, and he was the one guy that nobody wanted to tangle with, nobody wanted to tussle with. How many times did he handle Gordie Howe? Nobody wanted to touch Fern Flamen. They had um, Brad Park, but they had Ray, Ray Bork. Bork, they had well, <laughs> Bobby Orr. Bra- see, and it, you know what? You know what's you know what's funny too is I always thought that Brad Park got the 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 short end of the stick. Sure too. did. He was just like Brad. You look at the era that Brad Park played in, and it was Bobby Orr, it was Podfan, it was Robinson. Well, the big three on Montreal in general, and here's Brad Park, who's an incredible defenseman. But he's just buried under uh, under uh, under all these other defensemen. I still think that if it weren't for if it weren't for the injuries and stop me if you've heard Boston defensemen and injuries before, Gord Kluzak probably would have had uh, a much better season, a much better career rather than he had too. And now you're boasting McAvoy. Now you're boasting Hampus Lindholm. So once again, we're talking about the Boston Bruins and we're talking about the back end, Batty. Yeah, and Zdeno Chara before that. Like how many Hall of Fame defensemen? Oh, yeah, we left out Chara. Yeah, like. <laughs> How many Hall of Fame defensemen, you know, like 
there, yeah. there are certain sports where, you know, for the longest time in, in – in, well, the, the Rangers kind of did it with their goaltending. I mean, a little bit going from Lundqvist. There was that gap between Richter and Lundqvist, but Dude, Lundqvist to Shesterkin. Hang on. Rick, look at that. Like, Richter, Lundqvist, Shesterkin. Yeah. Pretty good, that's right? That's an embarrassment of Richards. Yeah. That's an embarrassment. And then there's teams there's teams that's that remarkable. can't develop their own goalie if they tried, right? So like they're they're for the longest no. time in the NFL, it was like the Green Bay Packers went from Brett Favre to Aaron Rodgers. And then in and you know, they had the coaching. They went Chuck Knoll, Bill Cower, Mike Tomlin. And you've got that in Boston. To me, it's even more impressive to have that as you know, to have those players that they kind of over they kind of touch each other generationally right it's like okay we went from eddie shore to fern flamen to uh you know there was a little bit of a gap but then we had you know bobby Orr brad park and then ray bork and you know like that's it's a pretty impressive thing yeah. to have all of those defensemen that have donned the boston black and gold um all right how did you see the evander kane situation on the weekend <laughs> That 3-2 loss against the Winnipeg Jets doesn't really play, has the buckets off fight with Brendan Dillon and tells Scott Oak in the second intermission, yeah, you know, I wasn't really happy with my ice time. I wasn't really playing, so I figured, whatever, I'll, I'll fight and sit in the box for seven or eight minutes. To me, that's just a flat-out frustrated hockey player. That's it. Well, when, when you haven't scored a goal in five games and you only have one assist and you're minus six, like, yeah, it's not a great start. And it's not like he hasn't been given an opportunity to play with good players. But here's the thing. Not really anybody's playing well in Edmonton right now. Like it's it's a short list of guys that are yeah, playing well. Leon is yes, but but I'm saying it's but you expect that. Um, it's a short list right now, and so I, I think it's a frustration with everybody, and they almost kind of need to hit the reset button. And here's what I will say: I know people will say, "Well, we kind of saw this coming with Evander Kane." Well, no, you didn't, because he's been great with the organization since he arrived there. There's been no issues. I think what this speaks to is just this guy is being honest about what's going on. And you can't criticize a guy because all we ask for is honesty. And he he comes out, he's honest about the situation. And I would hope that people aren't going to criticize that because he's just telling you how he feels. And I mean, we like to see a scrap every now and then. So I was happy to see that on Saturday night. But he's just frustrated with what's going on. I'm sure he wasn't super thrilled about not being on a line with either Connor McDavid or Leon Dreisaitl. So I think there's a lot to unpack there. I'm doing this not based on any numbers, so it's really irresponsible of me to say this. And we'll get Luke Gastic's uh, thoughts on this in a couple of moments, uh, Oilers analyst on Sportsnet. Um, does it not feel to you, because you mentioned, you know, hey, it's cool to watch Kane and, and Dylan go at it on Saturday. Does it not feel like fighting's up? Yeah, I said. this season, like right away. We saw Arizona and, and Anaheim going at it. Ross Johnson and, uh, and Liam O'Brien. I know, shocking. But at least, listen, at least Anaheim's got someone to to try to neutralize some of Arizona's toughness. Because for how many years, a couple of years now, Arizona's just been the bully on the block every time Anna, Anna, Anaheim came in. You know, they kicked sand in their face and took their per diem. Yeah, I, I said it on Friday. I was I was very intrigued by the numbers. Here's what we're going to do. Uh, David, I'm going to have David reach out to the Sportsnet Stats Department and find out if fighting is up over the course of, you know, comparatively to this year and last year. I mean, it is early and guys do tend to settle down, but it does feel like it's way up, not like slightly up, like way up right now. Yeah, and we'll see how many. We only got one game tonight, but we'll see how many there are tomorrow. Anyway, that's a good question for uh, for Luke Gazdek here. It comes up in a couple of moments. Uh, More on the Oilers page. No McDavid. Heritage Classic on the horizon. Games against Minnesota and New York in between Sunday's matchup with the Calgary Flames at the Heritage Classic in Edmonton. Gazzy is next. Uh, Oilers analyst as the Merrick Show continues across the Sportsnet Radio Network. Simulcast on Sportsnet 360. Back in a moment. Fresh views on everything in the National Football League. It's the Fan Checkdown with Matt Marchese and Donovan Bennett. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the program. Back on the Edmonton Oilers page. 
Heritage Classic on the horizon. That is Sunday as the Calgary Flames face off against the Edmonton Oilers. Flames most likely, because I don't think the appeal is going to get anywhere without Rasmus Anderson. Four-game suspension for the hit on Patrick Laine. And with the upper body injury gone one to two weeks, no Connor McDavid. Games this week for Edmonton against Minnesota tomorrow, and then the Rangers on Thursday. Here with comments is our, our man Luke Gastic, Oilers analyst on Sportsnet. Luke, how are you today, bud? I'm doing well, Jeff. How about yourself? Uh, I'm doing good, pal. You know, I was just mentioning to Matt Marchese here a couple of seconds ago, I have nothing scientific to back this up. I have no numbers. I have no stats. I have nothing other than just it feels to me, before we get on the Edmonton Oilers page here, like fighting seems to be up. Like more times than not, we're seeing fights every single night. Does it feel that way to you, Luke Gazdick, someone who, unlike me, actually engaged in these in the NHL? It really does. It feels like it's making a, a bit of a comeback and uh, turning a bit uh, a bit around. Uh, you know, in terms of guys, even just squaring up. Uh, you even see on Saturday with Evander and, and Brandon Dillon in Edmonton, the helmets go off. I remember doing that in Montreal with Travis Mullen early in my career, and the refs actually jumped in and grabbed us before we could even fight. So yeah. the fact that they're even letting them go. Um, and, and, and having that square off is great. Trent Frederick had a great one uh, where they had him mic'd up, and he said, oh, you take me, big boy. You want one? I'll give you one. So it's, uh, it's nice to see yeah. it making a bit, a bit of an appearance back in the game. You know, it's interesting in that Arizona-Anaheim game on Saturday as well. Like, you know, Ross Johnston gets claimed on waivers um, by the Anaheim Ducks from the New York Islanders. And, like, we all knew that there was one very specific game where Badford B claimed um, claimed, uh, Ross Johnston. And that's because of, you know, the Arizona Coyotes for a couple of years now have been pushing around the Anaheim Ducks. Now, Anaheim had Nick Delorier on the roster and killing penalties and, and, and. But they decided to 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 move him at the uh, at the uh, at the deadline when Pat Verbeek took over. So the um, it's not as if they're they're foreign to having toughness on the roster. But now it seems as if they they want to address one very specific need. I always find it interesting the way teams deny needing a player like that until they get pushed around. Do you have a thought on that one, Luke? Well, I think that Ross is a perfect guy for a team like Anaheim with, you know, the likes of Zegris and McCavish and even I'll throw Troy Terry in there. Mm. Some guys that may get pushed around. And for a fan base like Anaheim, I spent a couple of years in San Diego. These guys really appreciate their toughness. And I think it does a lot for the fan base too. And yeah. putting people in the seats, it's a big part of that Southern California culture in LA and the American league, Ontario, and that battle that we had too. Um, but I think the actual roster that he has been brought into, it's a great role for him. And you know me, I'm, I have that old school mentality and I don't like seeing young talent get pushed around because young talent should only have to worry about going out there and playing. I I would never want them to be scared and nervous going into a game because of X, Y, Z on the other bench and say, Oh man, like that guy's really intimidating. They shouldn't have to worry about that. And I think having one or two guys on your lineup, like a Johnson does a little bit um, in, in kind of calming those nerves for, for top talent. You know, speaking of, uh, you mentioned Evander Kane and, and Dylan going for one on uh, old San Jose Sharks teammates and going for one there on Saturday. What did you make of Kane's comments after second intermission interview with Scott Oak? Yeah, I wasn't really happy uh, with my ice time. Kind of mentioned it very casually, but that's a bomb of a statement to make. And then says, yeah, so I just figured I'd sit in the penalty box for seven or eight more minutes and, and have a fight with uh, with Dylan. Yeah, well, I will, I will say first that I haven't related to something more in a long time when he said, well, I wasn't playing much in the first, so I just wanted to go out in the second and get something going. The amount of times that I did that personally and said that in my head. Uh, but it's true. In a non-comedic sense, it's true in, the, in terms of keeping yourself engaged. For bottom-line players, especially myself in that role, it's about keeping yourself engaged in the game. And if you only play a couple shifts in the first period, then you get the 20-minute break in intermission. It's like you're starting the whole game fresh over again in the second period. And so it's about keeping your mental and your mind engaged in the game. So whether that was a bit of a shot at Woody 
um, of the, the, the ice time that he got or if he was straight up telling yeah. the truth, um, it, it works for me both ways because those guys got to get in in some way. And, and you know what? Good on him, too. He needed something like that. I feel like, uh, you know, not only Oiler fans, but, um, you know, myself as well, I've wanted to see more out of Evander and, and kind of some of that aggressive tenacity that he's known to bring to the table. Mm-hmm. Well, they're going to need him now more uh, than they have all season long and probably for a while now, too. No Connor McDavid for maybe as much as a couple of weeks. We cross our fingers that it's earlier, and we cross our fingers that we'll be able to see him, and he's healthy enough to play at the Heritage Classic on Sunday against the Calgary Flames Battle of Alberta. Um, But you've been part of teams like this before. The superstar goes down. It's like, okay, it's time to reset and refocus. It's not as if McDavid can jump over the boards now and score two goals and get us back into the game. Leon can still do that, certainly. But it's, it's, it's tough to mitigate the loss of the best player in the world right now. Um, you're Jay Woodcroft. What is your message now as you reset for this pretty busy week? Minnesota Tuesday, Rangers Thursday, Calgary at the Heritage Classic on Sunday. Well, I think I'm a glass half full guy. So on the positive side, it's good to know that it's only one to two weeks. I thought a lot, I think a lot of people were nervous that it could have been longer, but my message is, listen, we all know we have some cap problems. There's 18 guys in this room with the goalies, call it 20 guys. No one's coming in. No one's coming up from the minors. No one's getting, we're not bringing any guys. It's the guys in the room right now. Everyone here is going to play. And for me, it's a good opportunity to tell your guys that it's a good opportunity for a lot of you. There's guys that he's needed more from. I don't love calling guys out specifically, but look at a guy like Ryan McLeod. Like what a great opportunity for a guy like Ryan McLeod. He gets on the first, um, the first shift in overtime. He's, He's taken Connor's place there. He's probably going to get bumped up in the lineup. Probably going to get some elevated power play minutes. I'm telling these guys that, guys, this is a really good opportunity for some of you to get some elevated minutes that you might not have got with 97 in the lineup. Um, And and stress that nothing external is happening. We we know we have some money problems, and it's going to be the guys in this room that are going to have to go through this because – it's a tough Minnesota team. It's a good Ranger team. And then, obviously, uh, the Flames on Sunday with the Heritage. It's not an, easy, uh, not an easy week. So it's up to the guys in that locker room. And they, they should take it as a challenge. I, I, would be, I would be down a little bit with the news, but I'd be excited here for, for some of the guys in that room. You see, it seems like this is a moment that's made for a few people. Like this is, you know, to your point, this could be a great one for Evander Kane to reset and redistinguish himself. This could be a great one for people like Leon Dreisaitl. This could be a great one for people like uh, Matthias Ekholm. This could be a great situation for pick the netminder, Jack Campbell, Stuart Skinner. Um, we'll see what happens before we get to uh, uh, back to Edmonton on Sunday for the Heritage Classic. But I think, you know, before we, we look forward here... Is it too naive or too simple, Luke, to look at this Oilers team and say... You know, the problems are they're having a hard time defending in their own zone and they can't get a save. Is it more than that in your estimation? Well, if you boil it down to simply, that's probably their two biggest problems. I wouldn't want to put it to, to work ethic or, or anything like that because I think they've worked. With the, with the exclusion of a couple plays here and there, um, the work ethic's been there. It's you know, been the obvious, hey, we need a couple saves, and it's just tightening up defensively. Uh, I know how it can be in that town when you start to lose games, game after game in a row. Uh, It's tough to be out in the town. It's tough to answer questions from the media after every practice and every game. So I hope that they are going to nail down some of those system things and kind of get this ship back on board. Um, because I just know that as, the, as time goes by, especially in a market like Edmonton, it can get real tough mentally on those players. But I just think there's guys that know they have to be better, and they do. And if that starts with goaltending, it starts tightening up on the, on the D side of the puck. There's just some guys that have to be better, and I think they know that. 
We'll see what happens this week. Uh, Luke, great stuff as always. Continued success. We'll be watching for you. And, uh, you know, I am curious, too. One, one final question. Um, so, Rasmus Anderson, I, I can't see this appeal getting anywhere. I'd be really stunned if it did. Um, it doesn't look like he'll play in the Winter Classic or the uh, the Heritage Classic, and I know how much this means uh, to him specifically. He was one of those guys that you know was really looking forward to to this game. Um, when you set out on your NHL journey as a player, there's a number of boxes that you want to check. Uh, number one is the Stanley Cup. Then there are you know individual awards. Uh, there's game play, games played. You know the milestone: 500 games, a thousand games, scoring your first goal. Uh, your first fight, like all these different types of boxes that you want to check before your career is done. Um, for players in the NHL, where do outdoor games rank? Whether it's Heritage Classic, like we'll see on Sunday, Winter Classic, Stadium Series, like give us some perspective. Like what do players think of these outside events? I think it's grown in popularity in terms of popularity of the players enjoying them more as it's come along. I think it really brings back the nostalgia, especially for a lot of Canadian kids and, and, you know, a lot of American kids too, I should add, or wherever you're from that played on backyard rinks and ponds as a kid, it kind of brings that back, brings that back for you guys. And uh, I I think at the start, it, it was what it was, but now you see and you talk to other guys around the league. It's such a social league now that guys talk to other guys on other teams and they tell of their experiences and they say how much fun they had playing in, in that game and whatever team they were with. And it's starting to become a bucket list thing for these players now where they're like, hey, I'd really like yeah. to be a part of one of these. It doesn't start as a huge goal, uh, but I think just in terms mm-hmm. of how much positive feedback they've gotten over the years it's become a big thing for guys now i think it really has jeff yeah i i understand it you know for me um luke and i'm I'm curious your experience growing up for me my outdoor hockey was played um at high park at the outdoor rink uh at grenadier pond at uh, at high park in my neighborhood where i grew up at either uh, park lithuania baird park so i had like i grew up like a lot of canadian kids playing on outdoor rinks. What was your out, the main outdoor rink experience? Or what are some of the names you still hang on to? Well, I got to give my dad credit because he flooded the backyard for me and my two brothers every night in the winter. So we had our little 20 by 30 there. But uh, as soon as I started, awesome. uh, soon as I started my teams, uh, anyone in Toronto would know these names for me. It was North Toronto. It was Otter Creek. It was Ramsden and it was Hodgson. Yeah. Any, any of the kind of North Toronto area, Lawrence Park areas in Toronto. I spent countless nights at Otter Creek with my buddies playing five on five throw the sticks in the middle, uh, wait, wait till they yeah. turn the lights off on us. So those were mine, uh, for sure. Growing <laughs> up here in Toronto. Any, uh, any, any notable names that we might know, Luke, or were you the, the, uh, are you the one that went the furthest with the career? No, that would be, uh, that would be me. Um, my buddies all graduated on to bigger and better things, but in terms of hockey, I think I was, uh, the only one to, uh, to make the National Hockey League. It's awesome. Good for you, man. Listen, uh, always appreciate it. Uh, you be well. Enjoy the week of, uh, of Oilers hockey on the horizon, culminating with uh, Sunday's matchup against the Calgary Flames. Oh, just a, as a quick aside, you've been involved in these before. What's the, for those that haven't been part of it, take us to the player's experience. In the rooms, what does the, the BOA, the Battle of Alberta, still mean? Oh, man, those were some of my fondest memories of playing in the NHL. They just mean a little more. And I was an Ontario kid, so coming coming over there, we had some Alberta guys on our roster, and obviously they grew up with it. But you you realize it and understand it the second from uh, when our bus pulled into the Saddle Dome and there's fans waiting outside in the cold just for the 10, 10 seconds <laughs> that they could boo us <laughs> from the security entrance. Uh, it was all. It was always yeah. special. Whether it was at Saddle Dome or it was at Old Rexall, there was just a little more on the line in terms of bragging rights, and uh, they were always scrappy yeah. games. And it was always some of my best memories of playing in the league. Fun to watch uh, from my chair. Fun to watch. All right, uh, you're released. I uh, kept you probably longer than you hoped. Uh, thanks so much for hanging out with me today, Luke. You be well. We'll check back soon, pal. Thanks, Jeff. Anytime.
There is the great Luke Gazdick, uh, Oilers analyst um, and a very popular podcast as well. Um, dropping by the program in advance of the uh, of the Heritage Classic on Sunday. So, as I mentioned, only one game on the board tonight around the NHL. Tomorrow is the uh, Frozen Frenzy. I believe that's how they're phrasing it. Uh, Fifteen games. Times are staggered. It's a full, you know, it's a full hockey bath. Like just enjoy it every fifteen minutes. So. Um, Enjoy that one. Today, all eyes are on the Buffalo Sabres and the Montreal Canadiens. This one is a Rogers Monday night hockey special. All eyes on it. The uh, the action gets underway at 7 o'clock Eastern at the Key Bank. Pre-game hockey, uh, hockey central gets underway at 6.30 Eastern. So check out the pre and check out the game itself. You know, I don't want to call it a goaltending controversy yet in Buffalo. It looks like it might be headed that direction. Um, the Buffalo Sabres have really wanted, and again, it's still early. It was only the four games, but we'll see what ends up here. Have really tried to make this work with Devin Levi as the starting goaltender. Um, there is a uh, some type of injury issue now to address, and we'll see how that gets worked out. Eric Comrie with a really good game against the Islanders on Saturday. Uh, Uka Pekalukkanen will start on Tuesday against the Ottawa Senators. Buffalo looking to turn things around, two and three to kick off the season. We kind of thought, I mean, at least I did, and I think many of us did as well, that they'd be in the position right now that the Detroit Red Wings are in, right around tops in their division, or at least banging on a playoff spot right now, based on what we saw last season and the momentum that we thought the Buffalo Sabres would carry into this one. So far, it hasn't happened. Uh, we'll see Alex Tuck. We'll see Tage Thompson and when they break out of their funk. In the meantime, enjoy that game tonight. We'll talk about it tomorrow and all the other games on the go. We'll talk more about decentralizing the draft. The votes are in tomorrow by 5. We'll see what happens. Merrick's show back in 22 hours.